Well, let's pray together and ask God to meet us in his word. Lord, we give you this time now in your word. I need your help that my mind would be clear. My heart would be focused upon you. Pray for nothing to distract me or get in the way of what you want to do through me. I pray that you would work powerfully in all of our hearts. I've loved this series on the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. What a gift. Lord, this last Sunday in this series, would you come and open our eyes to new dimensions of what the Holy Spirit does in us and for us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We all know that we're going to die. Right? No matter uh, what your race or background or culture or religion, we all know that we're going to die. Death is, is unavoidable. Death is inescapable. We don't think about it very often, though. Um, but there's times where God brings us face to face with death. Um, probably the most real time, the, most, the time when death became the most real to me was a number of years ago when a woman in our church called me up on a Sunday morning, early on a Sunday morning. Uh, her husband had been diagnosed with cancer, multiple myeloma, and, um, and he'd been through all kinds of different treatments and, and nothing, nothing was helping. And so he came home basically to die. And then that Sunday morning, it was about 7 o'clock, uh, she called me up uh, in tears. And she said, he's gone. Would you come over? And they lived just a couple minutes from our house. So I hopped in our car and drove over there. In fact, Jim Swanson, you were here that Sunday morning, weren't you? Here at church. Yeah, I remember that. You were visiting that Sunday. That's right. And uh, walked in the door and family members were there. And there's lots of hugs and lots of tears. And then I walked, I walked to where his body was, right in the living room, in a bed there where, where he'd been, been staying. And uh, I'd known him, Einar, I'd known him for a number of years, almost 10 years, I think, at that time. And we had eaten Mexican food together, and we had gone fed the homeless together, and we had prayed together, and we'd laughed together, and we'd spent time as a foursome together. And his body was there, but he was not there. And it was very powerful. I put my hand on his shoulder. He was gone. Einar was gone. And it just struck me, the reality of death. That was one of the most real experiences that I'd, I'd had. And so we don't think about it very much, but there are times when it, it comes face to face with you. And you, you have to think about the fact that I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And because we know that, we've come up with different explanations for what death is, different theories and beliefs to try to explain why people die and, and where we go when we die. Let me give you a couple. Um, Buddhism teaches that when you die, you, you leave your body, you stop existing as an individual, and you become part of universal consciousness, universal mind. Here's a quote from a, a Buddhist website. When the body disintegrates at death, the mind does not cease. Although our superficial conscious mind ceases, okay, that's your individuality that's you as an individual being, that ceases. It does so by dissolving into a deeper level of consciousness, which has no beginning and no end. All that's to say is when you die, you're, you leave your body and you become dissolved. You're no longer an individual. You become dissolved in, in universal consciousness or something like that. That's Buddhism. 
Hinduism, you're probably familiar with this, teaches reincarnation, right? That means that after you die, you will come back in another, in the form of another being. Um, if you've followed the path of enlightenment, you'll come back as a superior being to what you were. If you didn't do so well following the path of enlightenment, you'll come back as an inferior being. That's reincarnation, Hinduism. Atheism teaches that when you die, that's it, right? There is no future. Here's a quote from Bertrand Russell, mathematician from uh, decades ago. Man is the product of accidental causes. His origin, growth, hopes and fears, loves and beliefs are but the outcome of chance combinations of atoms. No fire, I mean personal passionate fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve individual life beyond the grave. All the labors, all the devotion, all the inspiration are destined to extinction. So that's atheism, kind of a naturalistic perspective where all there is is atoms, and when you die, that's it. There's a lot of people um, who just aren't sure. They know they're going to die, but they're not sure what it is, what it means. Uh, I found this quote this week from Larry Ellison, founder of Oracle, you know, big old huge business software company. Here's what he says. Death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and then just vanish? Clearly the person, I'm sorry, clearly the reason they're not there is they're off doing something else. Death makes me very angry. This is his reflections after one of his co-founders died at an early age, and it just left, left him reeling, left Larry Ellison reeling with wonderment. So, see, we, we human beings, we've come up, you know, we know death is real. We know it's inevitable. We know it, it's, in, it's in our future, and so we obviously have, have tried to think up explanations. So we have some sense of, okay, this is what it's going to mean. The result is that there's out there all kinds of conflicting and contradictory human opinions about what death is. But now the good news is, we're not left to having to choose between conflicting and contradictory human opinions. Because our creator, God, has revealed himself to us and the truth of our origin, our life, our death, our future, our eternity in this book, the Bible. This Bible, this book is God's very words. And in this book, he's told us what death is, why we die, and what it means. And that's what I'd like to show you this morning. There's lots of passages I could have picked from, but I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. And if you need a Bible, I would urge you to raise your hand so we can pass one out to you. I'd like you each to be able to look up this passage in the Bible yourself so you can study along. Romans chapter 8 is on page 944 in the Bibles that we're passing out. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Look at what God had Paul write in these verses. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirits. Now, just a parenthesis here. Flesh isn't our bodies. Flesh is a word used in the Bible sometimes to refer to our sinful nature, how we were before God saved us through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We were rebelling against God. We were running away from God. That's the flesh. 
So he says, you're not in the flesh. You're not in that old way of living. You're now in the spirit. You've been saved. You've, You've got the spirit in you. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's our text for this morning. Now, one question everybody wonders about is, why is there death? Why does there have to be death? Why? Why is it that my DNA, and yours too, is programmed so that I peaked back when I was maybe 18 or 19 years old, and ever since then there's been this slow, gradual aging process leading towards death, right? Why is it? Why is it that there's something like lymphoma or Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis? Why do we have to die? Why? Look at what Paul says in verse 10. I don't know if you caught it when we read it. Read verse 10 again. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Did you catch that? The body is dead. There's death in us. We all die because of sin. My DNA is programmed to peak at 18 or 19 and then lead me into a decline towards death because of sin in general. Not so much people's individual death is because of their individual sin. We all face death because we've all sinned. Now, God didn't create the world with death in it. The world was created perfect initially. Adam and Eve could have lived forever. They would have lived forever without dying if they would not have rebelled against God. But Adam and Eve did what we've all done. None of us are exempt. God had revealed himself to Adam and Eve clearly as creator, as good. I mean, he gave them life just out of nowhere. They didn't earn or deserve that. He gave them life. He gave them bodies. He gave them paradise. He gave them each other. He gave them heart satisfying, the heart satisfying presence of God himself to know, to love, to worship, to trust, to obey. And they rebelled against their creator. Just like you have, and just like I have. And because of their rebellion, our rebellion, God brought the curse upon the earth. And part of the curse is death. And so that's why there's lymphoma. That's why your DNA takes you on that downward slide after 18 or 19. That's why there's Parkinson's. That's why there's cancer. That's why people die. And that's what, that's why physical death moves to spiritual death in the sense of eternal punishment in hell before God because of all of our rebellion against him. That's why there's death. That's what we all face. 
That's what I have faced. That's what you have faced. But there's amazing news in verse 11 right here. Did you catch that? In this passage, Paul says that you can be raised from the dead. It's possible for you, for me, to be raised from the dead. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay? So we can be raised from the dead. Even though I've rebelled against my creator and you've rebelled against your creator. And so I'm under the curse. I've been under the curse. You've been under the curse. I can be raised from the dead and be brought into God's loving presence to have the heart filling joy of worshiping him forever. Resurrection is possible. According to verse 11. How? How's it possible for me who's rebelled against God to be raised from the dead? I deserve the curse of death. How's it possible for you to escape the curse of death? You've rebelled against God too. How is this possible? How can sinners like me, like you, be raised from the dead? Look at the end of verse 10. I'll read all of verse 10, but catch the last phrase. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So that's the answer. Those last words, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay. Because of righteousness, whose righteousness, who's got to be the righteous one here. Is it because of how righteous you make yourself that you're able to be resurrected? Or is there some other answer earlier in Romans? Paul said, there's another answer. Good news. Good news because you could never be righteous enough to warrant resurrection. Don't take it personally. I couldn't either. Okay. None of us could be righteous enough to, to warrant resurrection. But earlier in this book, what Paul taught is that the moment you repent of your sins, own up to who God is, turn back to, to God, receive Jesus as your savior who died on the cross to pay for all of your sins, receive him as your Lord. I want you to be the boss of my life. I want you to be my authority. I welcome you into my life as my Lord. Trust him as your Lord. You receive him as your treasure. My heart and my soul cry out for joy to the living God. You are my prize. You're my treasure. The moment you repent of your sins, receive Jesus as Savior, as Lord, as treasure, all your sins are punished in Jesus, past, present, and future. And at that moment, God takes Jesus' perfect righteousness and gives it to you as a gift. You're like clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. This is one of the most important parts of the gospel to get. And so when Jesus looks at you, he knows you're a sinner, but he sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. And he responds to you as one who's clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. So the moment you're saved, there's this outflow of God's love and goodness and care and provision and compassion and goodness in your life. He's your father. He loves you as his son or as his daughter. You've been adopted into his family. There's this outflow of compassion that comes to you the moment that you've been saved. 
And part of that outflow of just the blessing of God is that he gives you the Holy Spirit. And one thing that the Holy Spirit does, out of all the amazing things the Holy Spirit does, is he gives you resurrection. He raises you from the dead. So Paul means in verse 10, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, how many of your Bibles have a lowercase s for the word spirit there? The spirit is life, lowercase s, spirit is life. Any of your Bibles have a lowercase s? Yeah, a couple of them do. How many have capital S? Okay, so mine does. Okay, why the discrepancy? The Greek language didn't have upper or lowercase. They didn't usually distinguish between the two. So people have to decide, is this lowercase s, the human spirit? Is this capital S, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity? I think it should be a capital S because in the next verse, the same word spirit is used twice, Clearly meaning the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So what Paul is saying here is that because you're trusting Jesus, you're clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, God can respond to you with absolute love, favor. You'll never again have anything of punishment coming from God because of Jesus. You're trusting him. Jesus is the righteous one. And the Father pours out favor, blessing, and love upon you, part of which is the Holy Spirit, And part of what the Holy Spirit does is he will work in you to raise you from the dead. It's one of the many wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does. Okay, so that's how you as a sinner can end up being raised from the dead and brought into God's presence forever. It's not because of your righteousness. It's not that you'll stand before God and say, I was good enough. I worked hard enough. I tried to do enough nice things, enough random acts of kindness so that you you owe this to me now. You will never be good enough to be that. You can be freed from trying to do that. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. You trust Jesus. You're clothed with his righteousness. God looks at you and says, in Jesus, you are flawlessly righteous. I'm going to pour out my love upon you, including giving you the Holy Spirit. And part of what the Holy Spirit does is he will raise you from the dead. That's the gospel. So what that means is, let me, I'll put it in the form of a quiz. Let's have a little quiz time here. Is it possible, two questions, first question, is it possible for someone who has sinned and rebelled against God to come to the place where they know absolutely for sure that they will be resurrected from the dead and brought into God's loving presence forever? Can somebody who has sinned know that for sure? How many say yes? Okay, I want to ask how many say no because I don't want to point out that you're wrong if you, if you, if you get the wrong. Okay, the answer is yes. You can know absolutely for sure. How can you know for sure? Is it because it's been a good week? It's been a really good week. You know, I didn't swear more than three or four times, you know, and I'm here in church. That's got to be like a real big, real big righteousness boost kind of thing. Is that how you know for sure? How many say no? Good. The rest of you, if you are going to say yes, you would have been wrong publicly. It would have been a very embarrassing thing. Okay. The reason you can know for sure It's because of the perfection, not of your righteousness, but of Jesus' righteousness. And because you're trusting him. You're welcoming him into your life. I'm not sinless. You're not sinless. If it had to be our sinlessness, none of us would ever be able to be raised from the dead in this way. It's because of Jesus' perfect righteousness. So if you were like really a jerk to your wife on the way to church this morning, okay, I wasn't listening in the backseat of the car, but just if, okay, if you were, 
you can right now be absolutely sure that you're going to be resurrected from the dead and brought into God's presence if you're trusting Jesus. Okay? Okay. Stop being a jerk, though, to your wife on the way to church Sunday mornings, okay? And the more you trust him, he'll work that in you. You will have a gradually increasing real righteousness in your life. But the baseline, what's the opposite of baseline? There's Jesus' perfect righteousness, which is what God sees you clothed with. Does that make sense? So here's the question. Do you know for sure this morning that if you were to die today, you'd be resurrected from the dead and brought into God's presence? Can you look death in the face and know that it's there because of sin, but know that the Holy Spirit is in you and the Holy Spirit will raise you from the dead? You know it. Do you know that? You can know that by trusting Jesus Christ. Trusting him. Turn away from whatever else you've been trusting for your security, for your identity. Those things will all fail you. Jesus, it's like all those songs we sang this morning. He will never fail you. He will never fail you. Okay, how does this resurrection happen? Paul says it happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's going to happen by the Holy Spirit. Did you ever, I didn't really realize that until this last couple of weeks as I was thinking of how to wrap up this sermon series. I hadn't thought deeply and clearly about the fact that it's the Holy Spirit's power that will raise this body from the dead. It's the Holy Spirit's power who will raise your body from the dead. That's what Paul says. Just, just as God raised Jesus' body, physical body, from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, so God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're trusting Jesus, will raise your physical body from the dead. So here's how it works. The moment you die, you immediately go to be with Jesus. Immediately, instantaneously. That Sunday morning, Einar was not there. Einar was with Jesus immediately. Now, the reason I say that is because of what happened with the thief on the cross. Remember, there was a thief next to Jesus on the cross who, as Jesus was dialoguing with him, repented of his sins right then, welcomed Jesus as his savior, as his Lord, as his treasure, was immediately clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness God the Father looked at him, saw him trusting Jesus, clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, gave him the Holy Spirit. And so this thief, the moment that that thief died on the cross, immediately, just like Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So immediately that thief was brought into the presence of Jesus, where he had the, the joy that he was created for, the, the highest joy of the universe, worshiping God as he's revealed in Jesus. That's what happened to this, to this thief on the cross. And that's what will happen to you. The moment that you die, you will be with Jesus in paradise. Your soul will leave your body and go to be with Jesus. And you'll worship him and you'll see him face to face. And it'll be awesome. But you won't be resurrected yet. Right? You're not resurrected yet. Because the resurrection happens at the end of history, the Bible teaches. 
So between the time when you die and you go to be with Jesus, your soul, your spirit, and the end of history, you're with Jesus, you're in paradise, okay, you're beholding him, but you don't have the full package yet. It's awesome. You, you will not mind. You'll be very happy, okay? But it's not the full package yet of what's to come. That happens at the end of history, the resurrection. At the end of history, the Holy Spirit who is in you now will give life to your mortal body. So wherever your body was laid to rest, whether it's in an urn somewhere if you were cremated, or whether it's in a, in a casket somewhere having been decomposed, or whether the ashes were spread somewhere, at that moment, the Holy Spirit will raise up your body. It'll be your body. It'll be recognizable as you, but it'll be immortal. It'll be a resurrection body. It'll be an awesome thing. And that's what's going to happen to you at the moment that Jesus Christ comes back from the dead. Your, your soul will be joined to your new body, which has just been resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, the full package of heaven will begin. And so if you're trusting Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and your all-satisfying treasure, this is what's going to happen to you. You will not, as, as Buddhism teaches, lose your individuality and be swallowed up in some kind of a universal mind. You will not, as Hinduism teaches, um, be reincarnated in some other being. And, and as atheism teaches, you won't, as atheism teaches, just be extinct at that point. If you're trusting Jesus, then what will happen to you is that you will be with Jesus in paradise immediately, the moment you die, and then at the end of history, your body will be raised, and your soul, your spirit, will be joined to your resurrected body. That's what will take place if you're trusting Jesus. If you're not trusting Jesus, then when you die, you will go to face God's punishment in hell, and at the final judgment, you'll be resurrected to, to judgment. So this is the good news of the gospel. Not because of how good we've been, not because we deserve anything from God, but because of Jesus' death on the cross. When we trust him, we're clothed with his perfect righteousness. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the amazing things that the Holy Spirit does is to raise our bodies from the dead at the end of history. So when you die, immediately you go to be with Jesus in paradise, beholding him, having the heart-filling joy of worshiping him. And then at the end of history, your body will be raised, your spirit will be joined with your body, and the full package of eternity in heaven will begin. Now, this might raise some questions in your mind. Um, one question might be, what is it in me that goes to be with Jesus in paradise the moment that I die? Is it like some kind of an energy that goes, or, or what is it? And I think it's safest and wisest to simply use the language of Scripture. That what goes to be with Jesus is your soul, your spirit. It's who you are. Your body stays here. But your soul, your spirit will go to be with, with Jesus. So that's what the scriptures teach about death, why death is here. About how sinful people like us can be resurrected from the dead. And how that actually happens by the work of the Holy Spirit at the end of history. Now, what I want to do in, in closing is to wrap up this message 
and this whole series by raising the question, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? And to review all that we've covered. This has been a powerful series for me to to study on, think on, seek to experience more, and to be able to preach to you on Sunday mornings. Because it has struck me what, what an amazing gift we have given to us in the Holy Spirit. The first week we saw that by the Holy Spirit, we are born again. And what that means is that while we were still God's enemies in willful rebellion against him without any faith, any desire for faith, without any repentance for our sins, any desire for repentance for our sins, God, through Jesus' death on the cross, gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit caused us to be born again. He birthed a brand new nature in you and in me, a brand new heart, which wanted to know and love and worship Jesus and was repentant over our sin and trusted Jesus and welcomed him in as Savior, Lord, and treasure. And so the fact that you today are trusting Jesus and are repentant for your sin, that didn't come from you. That was a gift given to you from God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit birthed this in you. So what a gift you've received in the Holy Spirit. Then the second week, we saw that we can be filled and satisfied with the work of the Holy Spirit or by the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, what he loves to do is to make the truth of Jesus real to you in your heart. So you have a firsthand experience of Jesus. You behold him with the eyes of your heart. The Holy Spirit enlightens the eyes of our hearts as Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. And so what this means is, no matter how empty you might be feeling tonight, or no matter how angry you might be feeling tomorrow afternoon, or how hopeless Tuesday afternoon or evening, doesn't make any difference what's happening in our heart. The Holy Spirit can so reveal Jesus to you, the truth of Jesus to you, he can so fill you with his presence, can so satisfy you with who Jesus is that your heart is changed and you are comforted and you are at peace and you are secure and you are full of joy and you are satisfied. That's what happens in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. What a gift we've received in the Holy Spirit. And then we saw how the Holy Spirit empowers us for witness that when you, by the Spirit, have a firsthand encounter with the living Jesus, you know him personally and you're emboldened, you're fearless, you're filled with compassion for lost people, and you're, you're moved to tell your neighbors about who Jesus is. You're moved to tell people about the gift of the Holy Spirit through the cross. By the Holy Spirit, we're emboldened for, for witness. You could be emboldened for witness. You have the Holy Spirit. Are you emboldened for witness? You've got the emboldening power. What a gift. We're gifted by the Holy Spirit with revelation and knowledge and prophecy and tongues and interpretation and miracles and healing. Powerful gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to us to build up our brothers and sisters and to to show who Jesus is to lost people. If you're trusting Jesus, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit who will gift you frequently, supernaturally with whatever you need to build up your brothers and sisters and touch the lost. You're enabled to worship by the Holy Spirit. You walk in your Sunday morning, your heart feels just like 
just to like a rock, cold, rock, hard, nothing's going to happen this morning. Not true. It's not about what's in your hearts. Your worship does not depend on what you bring to the table. You bring your rock heart to the table. You say, Holy Spirit, help me this morning. Open the eyes of my heart like Dave led us in praying this morning. And the Holy Spirit will soften your heart. He will blow away the fog of worry, distraction, puzzlement, bitterness, hurt, whatever. And he will show you Jesus. So you have the Holy Spirit who can enable you to worship. We receive fruit by the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. We're enabled and empowered to put sin to death by the Holy Spirit. Because as the Holy Spirit shows us the superior pleasures of Jesus, as the Holy Spirit satisfies our hearts with the superior pleasures of Jesus, sin's temptations lose their power. Right? So what a gift we have in the Holy Spirit. The one we're facing the gnarliest, temptingest, meanest, nastiest temptation you can imagine. The Holy Spirit can so satisfy your heart with Jesus that it just loses its power entirely. We're guaranteed our inheritance by the Holy Spirit. Remember the, the pie Sunday morning? Okay, the berry pie was right over here. What the Holy Spirit does is he takes us... It's not just pie in the sky by and by. He takes a slice of that pie. He takes part of the future joy that you will have in beholding Jesus. And he brings it back to you now. And he says, taste what heaven will be like now. Here's a portion of heaven. Here's a foretaste of heaven. You can have foretastes of heaven itself now before heaven. That is huge. When you taste that, Jesus, you will be worth it. You will be worth it all. You're worth going to Morocco. You're worth facing surgery. You're worth this difficult marriage I'm in. You're worth it all because you can taste it and see. You have your adoption made real to you by the Holy Spirit. As he pours the Father's love into your heart. So you move from just knowing based on the Bible that God loves you as a father. That's crucial. That's, that's huge. We, we live on that, not on our feelings. That's the foundation. But there's times where the Holy Spirit pours God's very love into your heart so you feel it. God, you love me. You're here. You're loving me. The Holy Spirit does that. We're, we're united by the Holy Spirit together, brothers and sisters, with a, a supernatural love that the world doesn't have any taste of. And so they look at that and they say, that's, that's supernatural. We're made effective in evangelism by the Holy Spirit. Our words will be used by him to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then today we've seen that you're going to be raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. Now, church, what a gift you have in the Holy Spirit. Do you see what a gift we have? What love God the Father has for us that he would give us such a precious gift. What love Jesus would have for us in dying on the cross, being punished in our place so we could receive this most precious of gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're trusting Jesus, you've received the gift. Now here's my question. You can receive gifts and never unwrap them. You can receive gifts and like, well, that's nice. I'll sell that at a garage sale sometime, right? You can receive gifts and be totally captured by them. Open them. Enjoy them. Use them. I just, I pray that these last 12 weeks of, of looking at the gift, the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit has 
whet your appetite for what you have and what you can experience more in the Holy Spirit. Do you see what you have in the Holy Spirit? Let's open the gift. Let's pursue the gift. Let's weed out of our lives things that quench the gift. And let's fill our lives with things that that stir up the gift. Let's stand together. I want to pray over us and ask the Lord to do this. Lord, I pray that right now you would be filling our hearts with a deep thankfulness to you for this gift of the Holy Spirit. What a gift. And now this morning we've seen that it's by the Holy Spirit that we're going to be raised from the dead. The bodies we're living in right now, these bodies will be raised from their coffins, their urns, wherever they are, be raised by the work of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you for that and that we can know for sure right now today that we're going to be resurrected from the dead and brought into your presence. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us with what we have in the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would stir us up with what we have in the Holy Spirit, that we would pursue what you've given to us by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would do this. And I ask this in Jesus' name.